At Pulso, if our team has a few minutes to catch up at the start of our staff calls, it's only a matter of time before we start comparing our experiences growing up Catholic. Stories about skirt length in school or attending Mass in Spanish, preparing for the sacraments as a kid, and looking at the relics in our family's homes. Our list of anecdotes goes on and on. In our last episode, we heard from three Latinas who redefined their relationships with the church and its colonial history in Latin America. They are choosing to find spirituality beyond the church by looking to art, nature, and social justice movements to connect with a higher power. But we never heard from the church. And considering that as Latinos, we're so often connected to the church from such a young age, we thought we should see what members of the church are doing in response to some of us choosing to find spirituality elsewhere. So I called one of my favorite professors, Father Matthew Carnes, to hear what he's been teaching and grappling with as he's in a community with Latino and Latin American Catholics. I'm the uh, director of the Center for Latin American Studies at Georgetown University. I'm an associate professor of government. And maybe for this conversation, it matters that I'm a Jesuit priest and have been for quite some time. Definitely does matter. And I'm curious to know why you decided to focus on Latin America. When did that love for the region start? Really, you know, as early as like middle school, I first started learning Spanish and had the opportunity to start learning about Latin American culture and a tiny bit about history. And then high school got to go much deeper with that. Um, So I, you know, I really fell in love with Spanish language. Um, and as a sophomore, traveled to the region for the first time, experiencing religion actually there in a way that I hadn't experienced at home, touched me at a really deep level. Part of my experience in Latin America was seeing um, tremendously wealthy areas and tremendously poor areas. I started to ask myself those questions. Why, why do we have such different experiences? Um, why do some um, have more opportunities than others? And I wanted to understand those. So the region both fascinated me on a sort of a a very human, personal level with families and people I was encountering and culture. So something we touched on a bit with our last episode was the history of colonization, specifically in Latin America, by the Catholic Church. Is this something you feel the Church has reconciled? Our history is really messy and violent and is saddening and shameful in some ways, and that's something we need to be able to talk about. In some ways, Latinos in the United States, and I would say uh, Catholics in the United States, have asked some of these questions for a longer time than have Latin Americans. But they're asking the same questions now. And every time I go there, they ask them a little more deeply and a little more urgently. And so 10 years ago, I didn't hear them talking about it. Five years ago, I started to hear it. Now I'm hearing it more urgently. And there's something, I would say, very um, transformative about that conversation. It's one that gathers a certain amount of momentum or something you mentioned you know, over and over again, um, you know, some little idea eventually starts to kind of grow and then you have to pay attention to it and then it actually invites change. And I see that happening more and more. You know, Pope Francis really surprised people a few years ago when he was in Bolivia and he met with the Movimientos Sociales y Indígenas. And so he was talking to these indigenous groups and he said to them, you know, first of all, I need to apologize. And I need to apologize for this really systematic and structural evil that was carried out, often in the church's name and with the church's complicity and activity. And I think that that's something the church was really afraid to say. Now you start to see the church being able to say it. And do you think we'll see others in leadership within the church follow Pope Francis's lead and ask for forgiveness too? We as a church need to recognize that we have no right to ask for forgiveness. We can, we can say we're sorry, and we do need to say we're sorry, because that hasn't been said enough before. But after that, 
peoples have to be free to be able to not accept the apology and to reject it and to because the, the evil was that severe. It doesn't lead to easy solutions. It actually makes you really uncomfortable. Um, and I think there's actually a merit in being uncomfortable because it forces you to start to address things and act on things. To be able to live with uncertainty and live with the uncomfortableness and live with this thing of constantly asking for forgiveness and constantly trying to do a little bit better and constantly trying to heal and constantly trying to reconcile. So that history is something that um, we need to keep exploring in even, in even greater detail and talking about more. But it also needs to then carry forward to how do we think about ourselves today and how do we then move forward together today. Can you tell us more about what liberation theology is for those who are not familiar with that term? Yeah, so liberation theology is actually one of the great contributions, I would say, of Latin America to the Catholic Church. I would say it's an element of engaged Catholicism that looks for social change and wants to embrace it um, in all its forms. Uh, especially during the moments of civil war and violence, there was active repression against poor communities. And when you didn't have a priest around, you didn't have some other leader, you had small communities gathering themselves to read the scriptures. And they started to say, that doesn't seem to be what God wants. That same idea then gets picked up by women's movements, um, by environmental justice movements to say, women, of course, should have this same sense of liberation, the same sense of ability to participate, the same sense of ability to engage and have been actively marginalized and oppressed. And God is on the side of liberation. You touched on an important topic, Father Carnes, which is the role of women in the church. And we know that there have been some reforms over the last several years and that Pope Francis has done a bit and has also been criticized for not doing enough. Uh, what are some of the reforms that you've seen in the church in the past several years that you're proud of? And what reforms do you think are still needed, especially to continue to include women more in the Catholic Church? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a hugely important question. And it's funny, in church circles, he's done a few things that are really radical that don't look like that from the outside by appointing women to be on some of the key leadership councils inside the Vatican, which is something that was pretty unthinkable. But in terms of grassroots Women as, first of all, deacons, then priests, that's something he's been much more slow to do, although he's certainly, he's, it's something he's over and over again suggested. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing where cultural change often happens that, happens that way, where you suggest something, you suggest something, you suggest something, and people get more and more comfortable about it, and then it can happen. And I think that might be part of what's happening there. If you look at who have been the bearers of the Catholic faith in, in, in Latin America and actually around the world, women often are in the ways that they uh, care for their children as mothers, in the ways that they um, raise their children, in the ways that they're often the ones that care for the dying and care for the sick. So that's always been there. Um, in fact, if we go back long enough, too, we see women had really formal roles, too. So there seems to be evidence that women in the early Catholic Church served as deacons, so ordained ministers, much like priests. Um, it's a role a lot like that. Um, Pope Francis has proposed the idea of why not have women deacons. In fact, he's been shown some openness to even having women priests. Um, that's something that I think would be really, it would be um, an important sign for the church to acknowledge the, the gifts of women. And my own experience is, I've known women who's, who would be and are better preachers than me, better ministers than me. So I find it hard to understand why we wouldn't have women in taking on every role within the church. The Latino community in particular, speaking of community, we know Father Carnes is leaving the church in mass. There's an exodus right now in the U.S. of Latinos choosing other um, ways to live out their faith. What do you think has to happen, if anything, to bring the Latino community back to the church? Or 
are they going to be gone forever? Overall, in the United States, we see a decline in religious practice. That's true across the board. Um, whites more than Latinos. For Latinos, and especially for Latin Americans coming to the United States, church and Catholicism often still is kind of a central anchor um, and a focus in a community that you see be very important. And I've you know, worked in a number, especially of um, immigrant communities, where that's really, really essential to people's lives. But you're right, people then also do choose to leave for a number of reasons. Sometimes for the ways the church addresses some of the really um, uh, crucial social issues around sexual ethics, um, around the role of women, uh, openness to marriage equality, those sorts of issues are ones that really are, are central. I think a reason why a number of people are choosing to leave. Here at Georgetown, um, we have some very just fantastic Latino, Latinx students, Latin American students. And I'm always struck by the number of them who really, really ask us as a Catholic community to have a mass in Spanish. And it's interesting because they might not actually go the other weeks. Um, but there's something about hearing mass in Spanish that touches something in them. And then beyond them, there's even a bigger group that really every year wants us to do something on Dia de los Muertos and often on uh, La Fiesta de Guadalupe, you know, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe. And those two things somehow touch a chord for them. And I think there's something really deep there. It doesn't mean that we have to be like, oh, did I get to Mass every single Sunday? Did I check all the boxes? Do I believe everything the church is telling me? But this idea that I touch something transcendent about, about my culture and about my family and about my sense of where I belong in the world, that's something that's really, really deep and, and runs deep. And it's hard to let go of. Even if you're like, want to reject it, it's really hard to let go of it. And so that's where I think there's real opportunities. How do we engage that? Because in my own experience, every time I've been able to engage that part of myself that touches what's deepest in me, I feel more alive. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Pulsa Pod in a couple of weeks. You can subscribe to the Pulsa Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to give us a listen. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulso.org. The Pulso Podcast is produced and edited by Charlie Garcia and Lisanne Ramos. Additional editing by Steph Amaya Mora. Research and booking by Turilla Chavez, Ray Aguilera, Ana Mendoza, and Sandina Malouf. Original music by Julian Blackmore. Our cover art was designed by Jonathan Torres. And I'm your host, Lisa Larcón. The voices you hear in our intro, that's the Pulso team. Thanks for listening. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.